Welcome to worship, whether you are here with us in person or whether you're home with us online. Uh, we're glad you're with us. We hope that you experience uh, the power of Christ and the risen Christ, the Holy Spirit, uh, in your presence today, in your lives today. Our scripture reading for today, the first one is from Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can we experience God in a personal and a powerful and a tangible way? How can God be more to us than just this inspiring concept that we have uh, that gives us comfort during tough times? How can God be more to us than a belief that we lean on during those tough circumstances that we inevitably face in life? How can God be more to us than this, uh, this entity, this spiritual entity somewhere up in the sky somewhere uh, who provides sort of moral guardrails for us so we know what to do, what not to do, how not to hurt ourselves, and how not to hurt others? How can we know, really know, not just intellectually, head knowledge, but know, experience God in a personal, powerful, and tangible way? And, and not just once in a great while, but on a regular, maybe even, dare we say, daily basis. Now, you might be listening to my voice and thinking, well, I'm not sure that's really possible. Maybe it's for you know, people who are super spiritual or people who have their acts together. You know, they really know what they're doing, which really is none of us, if we're honest. Maybe for them it's possible, but not for me. It would be a cool experience if that was the case, but I just don't really think it's possible for me to experience God in a personal, powerful, tangible way on a pretty regular basis. Well, if that describes your response to your thinking to my opening you know, questions this morning, then I, I really hope that you'll stick with me. Because my, my desire is that I can provide some help and some truth that you can take and you can apply into your life so that you really can and will experience God in a powerful, personal, and tangible way. More often maybe even for the first time in your life. The sermon, the sermon series we are continuing this morning, we kicked off back in May, and we entitled Power. Uh, and, and what we're doing is we're looking at the Holy Spirit, uh, who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit you know, does, what the Holy Spirit gives, so on and so forth. But today, I want to home in on the how. How can we move from knowing about the Holy Spirit to experiencing the Holy Spirit. And this question and our answer to it is, is so important because really the Holy Spirit is how we can engage God in a personal, powerful, and tangible way. I mean, you look at the scripture and the Holy Spirit does what? The Holy Spirit helps us to know God's presence. The Holy Spirit helps us to come to faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit brings about new life and love and grace and mercy. The Holy Spirit helps us to receive God's comfort and peace in difficult times, peace that passes all understanding. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand and apply Scripture. 
the Holy Spirit helps us to know when we're on the wrong path and when we're on the right one. And the Holy Spirit helps us to walk with God in our world on our, in a daily basis, just as we would walk with a friend. Now, you may have noticed that I kept using the word, the verb helps in regard to the Holy Spirit. And that's intentional because one of the ways that Jesus describes the Holy Spirit when he gets ready to send it, you know, in, in, in the upper room, he's getting ready to go to the cross and die. He knows he's going to be raised from the dead. He'll be around for a few days and then he's going to be gone. And so he tells them, I'm going to send the helper, the helper to be with you after I'm gone. So it's helpful. You see what I did there? It's helpful for us to think of the Holy Spirit as sent by God so that we can experience God in a personal and powerful and tangible way, not just up in our head, but in our lives, in our heart, in our souls. So let's begin with a couple of passages of Scripture. The first one was the one I read from Ephesians 5.15. We're going to work our way through portions of that, and we have one verse one short verse of seven words we're going to look at a little bit later. A little bit of context. The, this passage from Ephesians, it's a letter, it's, it's part of a letter from the Apostle Paul who was writing it to Christ followers in the ancient city of Ephesus, which Ephesus is, you know, it's, it would have been located on, there's still ruins there. It was located on the western coast of Turkey next to the Mediterranean Sea, a very beautiful setting. And just for fun, we're going to throw up a couple of pictures of some, <laughs> excuse me, ruins from Ephesus. Paul would have been here, he would have taught, he would have preached, he would have debated, he would have seen people's lives change as they experienced the Holy Spirit. And so for these, these Christ followers, these Christians in Ephesus, they were part of a small but growing minority who was getting a lot of attention because people who were kind of buying into this, they were being transformed. Their lives were very different than what they were before they came to believe this stuff. And so a little bit more about Ephesus, they would have been an important trade route in the Roman Empire. And because of that, where it was situated, there would have been all these different religions and worldviews and cultures kind of mixing and melding and competing for prominence. You know, sort of like, no, my religion is better. No, my worldview is better. That sort of thing. They've been competing for prominence, all these different things. And Paul writes to these Christ followers. And one of the things you see in this letter and his other letters throughout the New Testament is his firm belief and his emphasis upon experiencing God in a personal, tangible way. See, for him, for him, following Christ, it wasn't some sort of kind of mental framework or kind of a nice high philosophical idea, you know, it, it, that you debate and you argue. No, it was more than that. It was, it was a personal, powerful, tangible experience with the living God who sent his son to die for us and who arose from the dead. So let's pick it up in uh, Ephesians 5. And we'll begin with these words. Be very careful how you live. Understand what the Lord's will is. Now, if you indulge me for just a second, the sermon series that we preceded this one, we called it Against the Current. If you weren't with us, what we did is we looked at the person of Jesus Christ, his life in the Gospels, and how everywhere he went, he, he stands out. You know, he's, he's different. He goes against the current. He goes against the culture. He treats people differently than others. He, he goes against the status quo in what he values and what he teaches and basically who he is. And, and we were challenged to do the same thing, to live our lives in a way that's distinctive, distinctive and, and different from the world and the culture around us. Because what? It's very easy to kind of go with the flow, to kind of go with the current. 
of what's going on in the world, the values and the priorities of the world, it's easy to kind of get just kind of swept away with those things unless we are very intentional. And Apostle Paul here in Ephesians 5, he's urging them, he's urging us to be discerning, to be wise, to be intentional. Because if we don't, if we just kind of go with the flow, then how can we expect, reasonably expect, people to listen to us when we proclaim what a difference Christ has made in our lives? Is there really isn't anything discernible that's that different other than we show up to church and maybe we avoid certain things, don't say certain things. But everything else is pretty much the same. So Paul says, be very careful how you live. Understand what the Lord's will is. And this is one of the keys to experiencing the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are to proactively seek the Lord's will. Not to be passive, but to proactively seek the Lord's will. What does he want me to do with my life? How does he want me to live? How does he want me to relate to these people? Those sorts of things. Now, usually, God will not push his way into your life. Right? God will not force his way into your life and make you do something that you do not want to do. He typically gives us free will, right, to make choices and to determine who we are and what we'll become and what we're going to do with our lives, which is a great gift, but it can also be abused and misused. You see, following Christ requires that we exercise that free will we've been given to seek God and to seek and understand his will. And as we we do this, we're going to begin to experience uh, the Holy Spirit in a more personal, powerful and tangible way. There's an old hymn that I used to sing as a kid, and uh, trust and obey. And the, and the words are this, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. In other words, as we seek God's will, as we walk in obedience and trust that his will for us is good, as we trust that God has our best in mind, even when we don't see it or even when we don't get it, as we act upon what we know and obey God, we're going to experience more and more of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, and where the Spirit is, the Bible says there is freedom. Freedom for what? Freedom to be who God created us to be. Freedom to know God's love and grace more completely. Freedom to experience his joy. You know, I often hear this question framed one way or another. I've asked it myself. How do I know what God wants me to do? How do I know what God wants me to do in this relationship or in this situation? How do I God wants, know what God wants me to do for the next five years or whatever it might be? And those are good questions to ask because we all should want to know what he wants us to do so that we can know to do it, right? A few things to think about. First, God is not a God of confusion. Now, <laughs> there are certain mysteries and there are certain paradoxes which we're never going to get our minds around completely, Right? Certain things that are beyond our understanding. We can't quite understand what is he doing and why is he doing this. Or I, I don't get the picture. Isaiah 55 tells us this is going to be the case where, where it says, God says, my ways are not your ways and my ways are above your ways. Which makes logical sense, you know. If God is great enough and creative enough and powerful enough to create this universe and everything that's in it, the world and all creatures, including us as human beings, then surely God is great enough, intelligent enough, and powerful enough and creative enough to have reasons and purposes which are beyond our understanding. 
I mean, we can't know everything. We never will know everything. If, there, if we did, there would be no need for faith, no need for trust. And God, again, remember, he wants us to freely choose to love him and to follow him. He wants us to trust him, to love him. And there is no real love unless there's trust. And there is no real trust unless there is a gap or a limit in our understanding, our perspective, right? We know this with our kids. When they're little, the ways of adults are above their ways. Sometimes they don't understand what's happening and why, and so we ask them to trust us. Hey, you don't get this right now. You don't understand right now, but, but you know, Someday you'll, you'll get it. You're just, you're, your perspective is different. My ways as a dad are above your ways. It doesn't always work when they get older, but, you know, that's what you do. It's sort of like that with God our Father. However, regarding God's will and knowing it, let's be honest, <laughs> the vast majority of the time we know what God's will is, don't we? We know what we are to value. We know how we are to spend our time and resources. We know how we are to treat people. We know what we are to avoid. We know how we are to respond when people hurt us. And we know what we are to do when we see people hurting and in need. Of course, there are some areas that are a little fuzzy, maybe a little hard to discern because of different complexities and and this and that. And, and we can still, in those situations, we can know God's will as we wrestle with it through prayer, through the word, and through the counsel and experiences of other believers. And the Holy Spirit is the one who, who brings clarity, brings us all together, and speaks through these other avenues. Let's move on. Paul writes, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, just to be clear, Paul is not taking a stance against drinking wine here. Okay, Uh, what was Jesus' first miracle? He turned water into wine at a wedding. Paul himself advises a young protege, Timothy, to take a little bit of wine once in a while because it's good for his health. Paul, what he's doing here, he's using the example that the Ephesians and we can relate to, right? I mean, we've all known or seen or maybe experienced it ourselves, no judgment here, where maybe a person's had too much to drink and they're under the influence And they make choices and say things and do things that they're going to regret later or that they normally wouldn't do. What Paul is teaching us here through this example is the importance of being filled with the Spirit and being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Not anything else, but under the influence, the guidance, the the power, the direction of the Holy Spirit. And, And one way to think of it is the Holy Spirit is the continuation and the continuance of the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. That's what we are to be under the influence of. Let's look at our other passage. First Thessalonians <coughs> excuse me, 5.19. Seven words. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Pretty straightforward. And I hear that and I think, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to put out the Spirit's fire. Or as another translation says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. I don't want to do that. But how can we think about this? What does that mean? Well, many of you know that I like to go backpacking and hiking. My boys and I like to do this. We go to the mountains uh, or we go camping at a lake in Minnesota and do fishing. And when we do this, we often build a fire, right? If it's allowed, there's no fire ban, we're going to build a fire. Why do we do that? Well, maybe for warmth, maybe to supply light, maybe just to have a central point to sit around and talk and have snacks and drinks. Maybe it's because we want a fuel source to 
make food for our nourishment. But there are certain things which we can do which will either help the fire grow and do what it's meant to do and make our lives smoother and easier and and we can accomplish the things that we want to, or there are things which we can do which will make it difficult for the fire to do that. We can soak the fire. We can wash the fire. We can blow on the embers to make it flicker and flame and and burn brighter and warmer. We can add uh, dry twigs and and pine needles and dry leaves or, or bark. We can do things like that, provide fuel and oxygen, or we can just get caught up in something and forget about it. And it begins to die down and flicker. And the light and the warmth lessen. And it can even go out, which makes things much harder for us than they need to be in that moment. So it is with the Holy Spirit. There are things that we can do that will stoke the Spirit's power in our lives. I'm not saying we can manipulate or control the Holy Spirit. That's wrong. But there are things that we can do that will create an environment that will make us more teachable, more moldable, more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We're going to get to that in a moment. But first, what are we to do so that we do not put out the Spirit's fire? We can root out areas of deliberate sin. I think, oh, the pastor is going to talk about sin. And well, I, let me say that I know this firsthand because there have been times in my life where there are certain patterns and things that I, I mean, they weren't horrible, but I, I knew they weren't really part of what God wanted me to do. And, 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 and you persist in those things. And all of a sudden, like, I just don't hear from God as much as I used to. The, the scripture doesn't just jump off the page anymore or worship seems kind of stale and, and, and things like that. And it was because I was pursuing some things in my life that I knew were not what God wanted me to do. So if there's a pattern or habit in your life, it could be regarding a relationship. It could be how you use your resources, time and money. It could be uh, something with work or personal habit or whatever. And you know it's not what God wants for you. If you ignore God's truth and commands, if you reject his purposes for your life and you choose to go your own way, which God gives us the choice to do that, remember? Do not be surprised if you start to feel less close to God. Don't be surprised if God doesn't seem so personal or powerful or tangible anymore. We quench the Spirit when we engage in in deliberate sin, when we stop listening to the Spirit telling us to do this or that or to avoid this, and when we choose not to obey, when we instead choose to ignore and go our own way, we put out the Spirit's fire. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that when we do this, that God rejects us, that God loves us less, that God stops loving us. No. What I am saying, and what the Scripture clearly says, is that when we engage in in deliberate sin, especially for an extended length of time, our ability to experience the Spirit will wane. And things like those moments when we feel guilty about doing something we know we shouldn't do, which is really a gift, isn't it? Those become less. Like, yeah, I know it's wrong, but you don't feel it anymore. Or you begin to rationalize things that you knew were wrong in the past. Well, it's not that big a deal to God. It doesn't really hurt them or hurt me. Or even come to the point where, no, I think it's okay. It's because we put out the Spirit's fire. During college, our daughter Anna uh, surprised us. She was a musician, really involved in that, and serious student. And she went to college, and we thought, well, she's going to join the choir. She's going to join the orchestra. She's going to do this and that. She joined the rowing team. 
I mean, like, what? I mean, she stopped doing athletics in grade school. But she ended up doing four years, and she absolutely loved it. Blew me away. I was so proud of her. And I didn't know much about rowing, but I began to learn. As I watched her and her teammates row, we went to these regattas. We saw the importance of, of alignment, right? Where, where the crew rows in rhythm, the same cadence, uh, the same effort and depth of the oars. They listen to the, the coxswain, give orders and correction and encouragement. And when everything kind of is in sync, it seems like the boat is almost just leaping out of the water, gliding over the water with hardly any effort at all. But when a crew was not in sync, and when they did not listen to the voice of the coxswain, they lagged, they fell behind, they struggled, they zigzagged a little bit, they lacked power to get to where they wanted to go. It was a frustrating experience for the rowers. When we are not listening to the Spirit... When we're not in sync, when we're not aligned, we eventually will struggle. We're going to hit a wall. We're going to weave here and there in life. We're going to become frustrated or discouraged or maybe even resign ourselves saying, well, this is how it's going to be. Just accept it. But we don't have to live lives like that. Because when we walk in obedience... As we take steps to repent and to align our lives with God's will, as we listen to the Holy Spirit's direction, correction, and encouragement, we'll begin to experience the Holy Spirit in a more powerful and personal and tangible way and more regularly. Finally, back to Ephesians 5. We're getting close to the end. Instead, be filled (laughs) with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. We are to what? To experience the Spirit's movement in our lives, we are to engage in something we just got done doing. Heartfelt, consistent worship, both corporately and individually. Because we are created for worship. As human beings, we are created for worship. Not to be worshipped. When we do that, all sorts of chaos happens. We are created for worship. And so as human beings, what we're going to do is instinctively, we will find something or someone to worship. We cannot not engage in worship, whether we realize it or not. We are worshiping something or someone. And if God is not the object of our worship, something else will be. And when, we, when what we worship determines ultimately who we become and what our lives are about. It reflects our values and our priorities, the things that we worship. And when we worship other things and not God, our experience of God in a powerful, personal, tangible way, it begins to diminish and wane and sometimes can almost disappear. But when we worship God in a heartfelt way, when we worship God consistently, our relationship with God grows as the Spirit moves in our lives and our faith is strengthened and our perspective about what's important and what's necessary and what isn't is corrected and is affirmed. And this happens through corporate worship. That's why it's so important what we do on Sunday mornings. And it's to happen through individual worship on our own when we read the word, when we pray, when we listen, when we reflect, when we listen to music, when we maybe sing ourselves in the shower or on a walk or whatever. Last point. To experience the Spirit, something that's really important is we are to practice gratitude to the Lord. At the end of our passage from Ephesians 5, Paul urges us to what? Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And over and over and over again in the Scriptures, we see this this call, this command. 
give thanks to the Lord. And we say, well, yeah, do we need to be reminded of all the time? And is God some kind of, you know, insecure egomaniac who constantly needs our affirmation? Yeah, God, you're great. You're wonderful. You're powerful. Does he need, is that what's going on here? No. We're, we're told to give thanks to God in everything because why? Gratitude is good for us. It's good for us, isn't it? I mean, we know this when we raise kids. They learn mama, papa, please, thank you. Say thank you to the nice man. Say thank you to the nice lady. Make sure you say thank you. Gratitude keeps us from becoming self-centered. Gratitude is an antidote to entitlement. Gratitude gives perspective. Gratitude, true heartfelt gratitude, not gratitude intended to flatter or to appease or manipulate or to ingratiate ourselves to God. Sincere gratitude keeps us soft and sensitive to God and his spirit. Because it helps us remember what God has done and who he is. And practicing gratitude keeps us from thinking that we are somehow entitled to his blessings or we've earned it in some way or contributed to the good things in our life. And practicing gratitude also keeps us from thinking we have played a part somehow in our salvation. And practicing gratitude helps us connect with God and experience the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in what? A personal, a powerful, and a tangible way. So, a couple action steps before we close. Identify an area where you are ignoring or rejecting or denying God's will in your life. And we all have that in some area. Maybe it's obvious, maybe it's not. Maybe you have to think about it. If you're married, ask your spouse. They can point it out. They'll do that for you. Take steps to repent and align your life with God's will. Next, establish a daily discipline of proactively proactively seeking the Spirit through gratitude and through worship. Now, I would encourage you when you pray to not ignore the Holy Spirit. You know, we often pray to God the Father, as we should. We often uh, talk to Jesus and we close our prayers in Jesus' name, as we should. But the Holy Spirit often receives less attention and intentionality. God is one God, right? Three persons, one God, kind of a mystery, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Equal. And when we pray, we can ask for the Spirit to move in our lives and to guide us and to correct us, to give us peace, to give us power to live for Jesus. So I, I, would, I would ask that you, in your time in prayer, that you would ask for God, for the Holy Spirit to fill you and to guide you so that you can live your life for Christ fully. Now, we all have our own kind of walks with God, how we relate to God, because we're unique. We're one of a kind. We have different personalities and backgrounds and experiences, and that's as it should be. I mean, God's a God of creativity and, and diversity and beauty, and, and that's awesome. And so take this for what it's worth. But one way I found helpful for me is when I'm in prayer or sitting in silence, and this is not like a, like a, you know, like a, a mantra that I, or whatever, or, a, or I don't go into trance or anything like that. But every once in a while as I'm praying, just off and on, not a lot, but just once in a while, as I breathe in, I'll say, fill me, Holy Spirit. Just fill me, Holy Spirit. Because we think of the Holy Spirit as the breath of God. So fill me, Holy Spirit. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Correct me. Mold me. Work in me. Work through me. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Help me to live for Jesus in this moment or in that conversation, in that relationship, in that decision.
Fill me, Holy Spirit. Open my eyes to your presence, God. Fill me with the power of the risen Christ so I can do the things that you've asked me to do, so I can have strength to avoid the things that I shouldn't do, so I can be the person that you've called me to be. So, so fill me, Holy Spirit. So we close with the Apostle Paul again in his prayer for the followers of Christ, this time in Rome, where he says this. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope through the power, you know, the, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, we come into your presence and we thank you that you are with us. We praise you, Father, for your goodness, your grace, your love. We thank you for, for Jesus Christ, your son, who came to earth to live a life that was perfect, who gave his life as a sacrifice, who rose from the dead. And then we thank you, Lord, for the gift of your spirit, the helper, the counselor, uh, the, the power that is within us. So, Lord, we, we ask now that your Holy Spirit would fill each one of us, that we would have a sense of your presence in a powerful, in a personal, in a tangible way. Help us, Lord, to, to align our lives with your will, to be proactive in, in setting things right and, and, and making things right and, and getting in line with, with you, Lord. Holy Spirit, fill us now and guide us and direct us as we sing, as we leave this place, as we live our lives, that we be people who experience you, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, our souls, and that would be reflected in the way we live our lives and so evident to the people around us, not for our glory, but for your glory and ultimately, Lord, for their benefit. In Jesus' name, amen.